So, James, we have a great show this week. I really enjoyed our interview with Ellie Katz at uh, uh, yeah, uh, retail. Yeah, I, I was really impressed. Yeah, really impressed. I had, you know, and what's really cool is, as you said in the beginning, we haven't really touched a lot on C-stores. But, yeah. you know, there's tens of thousands of these small independent C-stores out there right. that are in dire need of sophisticated solutions at a decent price point. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. And, you know, even in the interview, we allude to IDT, which I've worked a lot with them on the consulting mm-hmm. and training side. And this is a massive company. And a lot of agents and ISOs don't, aren't familiar with them in our side of the industry because they've kind of been in a different camp. They're so big. Mm-hmm. But they have this national retail solution and they just dominate convenience stores. And they've really built a platform that has all the integrations that you want. And, you know, selling these convenience stores where you can integrate with distributors and tobacco and, you know, just it's amazing integrations. And, and you could only do that with the kind of scale um, that they have with thousands and thousands yeah. of these already already placed. And then tell us yeah. about the Insiders Report, Patty. Well, we have another update on buy now, pay later. I mean, this is becoming a really hot market. And uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, stick around and listen for that section of the podcast. And then, James, your question from the field, I thought was a excellent segment this week. Thank you. Yeah, we did the, the first of two parts. We're talking about Delegation 101. Primarily, this is for the smaller ISO, the individual agent that wants to scale mm-hmm. with employees, become more efficient. Let's talk about some of the key mistakes that can be made and how to avoid those um, in this week. So I'm excited about the episode, Patty. I'm ready to dive in if you are. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Ellie Katz. Ellie is the president and CEO of National Retail Solutions. How are you doing today, Ellie? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, James. Thank you, Patty. Oh, thanks for being here. Absolutely. So I'm really excited about the conversation. I love to have conversations on the podcast that we've never had before. And one thing we have never talked about is convenience stores and specifically point of sale systems. You know, what are their needs? What are their challenges? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Ellie's uh, company has just really dominated in this space. Before we do that, though, I would love to hear your story. I don't think I've ever actually heard your story, Ellie. So tell us, how did you get into this crazy industry? Tell us about the story of IDT a little bit. Excellent. So about six years ago, the chairman and the CEO of IDT, um, Howard Jonas, Shmuel Jonas, called me into the office and said basically that their core product, Boss Revolution, is being sold all over the place, right? In mom and pops, in convenience stores, right. in, large, in large box stores. But 80% of their business is being done in these independent convenience store space. And they've recognized, and this is you know, this is the way the Jonas family thinks, that they recognize that this was going to be an issue as more of these brick and mortars come into these to these communities and are crushing and hurting these independent convenience stores. I live mm-hmm. in a small town of Teaneck, New Jersey. I've got three CVSs, two Walgreens, three 7-Elevens, and mm-hmm. um, a stop and shop. I want you to tell me how a small independent convenience store can succeed in that type of environment. So right. they wanted me to use the resources of IDT's technology team and come up with a point of sale register for, for this um, subset, this group um, of stores. Um, and that's how we started. Basically, the idea was to give them a technology that they can not only compete with, you know, these, these brick and mortars that are coming in, but they can level the playing field. So we built a point of sale register for this independent convenience store space. We made it very price, uh, a nice price point. We made it so that 
it is very easy to, to get. So if you have credit card processing at that point, we were credit card agnostic. You can bring any credit card you want. We weren't doing credit card processing. We didn't want there to be any barriers to entry. And in five and a half years, we deployed over 15,000 point of sale registers coast to coast. Now these small independent convenience stores, they know what they're buying. They have a loyalty program. They have a rewards program. They have an inventory program. They have a merchant app. They have a consumer app. They never were able to detach themselves from the store before because they had these old registers or shoeboxes. Mm-hmm. know what they were buying. They didn't know how much they were selling it for. They didn't know what was on the shelf. Um, so we gave them this technology, very robust, but easy to use. So, so yeah, I mean, you, you've given us a good thumbnail, I think, of, of, of the challenges that these independent convenience stores faced, Ellie. Um, but it, and, and I, and I, you know, and I agree with you, I, I it just boggles the mind uh, how these little shops are being squeezed out of so many markets. Um, but it would seem to me that besides all of that activity, the big national chains and everything, there's other market forces, you know, for example, the big elephant in the room, COVID. Um, you know, I'm wondering how these, how's this, have, how have these other market forces impacted these businesses and, you know, what kind of new pain points um, came up as a result of that and, and the solutions that address that? That's a great comment. And you want to know, you mentioned one of the elephants, which is COVID. The other elephant, which wants to put everybody out of business, is the A word, which we all know, you know, which I don't want to say. I don't want it to get sued. But uh, we all know it rhymes with Amazon. Right. (laughs) They're looking to put everybody out of business. And they've got the technology, the resources, the price points, the the marketing, the distribution. Um, so yeah, and then, and then somewhere in between there, a lot of other technologies have emerged where they're like, Oh, why go to any convenience store order from this app and we'll have it delivered to you. Right. And, oh, right. From a little warehouse and it's, you know, my little warehouse convenience store.com, whatever it is. So there are all these technologies that are really taking a bite out of, um, these independent convenience stores and these independent convenience store owners, they're all different backgrounds, races, religions, colors, but the one thing they all have in common is that they're all entrepreneurs. They right. all took a risk, bought this little four corners of mm-hmm. space and decided that this is what they're going to use to feed their families. Yes, yes. You know, I, I go back a little bit longer than you guys do, and I remember growing up in a small town and, you know, in every little couple of blocks, there was a tiny little convenience store it's where mom would send us to go get the milk and yeah. and the you know sausage and eggs for breakfast or whatever, right? I mean, those don't even exist anymore. Those little little tiny neighborhood shops. So they 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 kind of do exist, and there's a lot of them out there. Um, there they estimate that there's about two hundred thousand independent convenience stores, liquor stores, tobacco stores independence uh, coast to coast. Now, those are not perfect numbers because it's hard to get exact uh, numbers on on these type of stores. Um, But uh, you're right. People are using convenience, right? It used to be convenient to do a drive-through. That was the convenience. Right. (laughs) Now the convenience is ordering before you get to the the (laughs) drive-through. Yeah. So, So what did National Retail Solutions do? We're keeping up with the trends. Just like 
we gave the point of sale register to these independent convenience stores when nobody else was doing point of sale registers in these independent convenience stores. We're also giving e-commerce to these independent convenience stores. Mm, okay. Them their own website, their own ability to have a, a presence online, their own uh, app so that merchants and con- consumers can order from the app. And I was also, we, I mentioned we also have a merchant app. Merchants can also order from uh, the app because we give them a marketplace. We connect them in certain areas to distributors so that they can order directly from the distributors. Imagine a merchant now being able to, A, go on vacation, B, look to see what their inventory is, and then D, at the same time with that app from vacation, order from their distributor. Pretty cool. Yeah, we put all of that in these merchants' hands at a very affordable price point. And then we launched credit card processing two and a half years ago because we recognize that it's not just enough to make these merchants more money. We also have to be able to save these merchants money. Mm-hmm. That one of the big issues, one of the big expenses, and, and James knows better than everyone else, that credit card processing, no matter how big or how small your company is, is a major expense to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Seeing all these different companies and stores getting ripped off with their credit card processor, we had to step in. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I'm really interested in and, you know, Elliot, our audience is, you know, totally grasping what you're saying so far, you know, they, they get it. The convenience stores are in a similar position. They're competing with the giant, you know, online companies. They're competing with the local companies that are big, you know, so they get it. They need the technology. There's no doubt, right? We all get that. I think one question our audience would have though, is what is the perception of these independent convenience store owners? Meaning, are you trying to convince them that they need this technology or is it a matter of they've already got technology and you're trying to upgrade it? Like where is their mind at with everything that's going on? How receptive are they? What's the, what's their state of mind in the market that we're in? So when we first started, it was more of an education. We had to educate them why you needed to switch from this register, this Casio register or right. this shoe box or cigar box where you keep your cash and and all the different obstacles that went into that. Like I mentioned, you know, I can't switch. I'm, I have my own credit card process. I can't switch. I can't afford it. I mm-hmm. can't because Big Brother, et cetera. So when we first started, though, those were the obstacles. Uh, it's an education. Um, now we are the dominant, as you mentioned, the dominant POS in the independent convenience store space. We're the number one. Uh, POS in this independent convenience store space. And yes, there's people that are trying to chip away at us. 90 something percent of our uh, POSs do not replace another technology. They're replacing shoe boxes or the, the we equivalent? Replace the shoe box or the old Casio registers. Correct. Wow. And, there's, wow. and you would say there's still a pretty big, you, know, you mentioned the 200,000 number. We're, we're, You've we're got 15,000, right? We're just scratching the surface. There's a lot of shoe boxes left. There's a lot of territory, <laughs> 100%. But the difference, though, is now I think we're educating the market and now other people are coming in to educate the market. So we may have to start hopefully replacing um, technology. But we have the best technology. We, we created, you know, I get calls all the time. Oh, I have a, 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 I have a hair salon. Can I use your point of sale register? Oh, I have a pizza shop. Can I use your point of sale register? The answer is, Yes, we do have hair salons. We do have pizza shops. We don't recommend it. We don't. We created the tennis sneaker for the tennis player. 
That's why these convenience stores love us. And we keep adding, Mm -hmm. adding, and adding. And that's why also resellers love us. Distributors Mm -hmm. love us. Our channel loves us because we're giving them tremendous amount of money for them to sell our product into a, uh, into a, you know, a specific, specific uh, category. Right. And, 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 and I, I think what you're saying then is that you're, you're so focused on the convenience stores and resolving their issues that to move off, to branch out into other verticals would diminish what you're able to do for them. Uh, Patty, I couldn't have said it better. Honestly, I couldn't have said it better. Meaning, yes, a lot of these, um, um, convenience stores are adding a food element, right? I want sandwiches, etc. Sure, sure. So we had to get modifiers in there. We had to get, uh, you know, an online ordering app so you can order in advance. We had to have second printers, etc. But right. yes, we don't have a reservation system. We don't have a, what table are you sitting in now? We, you know, we we are. You know, there's a lot of you know people say, oh, what about this? Uh, POS company. Everyone knows about this POS company, ABC. I won't mention the name, but you know what? They're good POS companies, but they are the umbrella. They're good for everybody. Then addressing the needs of the independent convenience store, liquor store, tobacco store. Okay. So can you maybe speak, uh, if you don't mind, Ellie, if you could speak to some of the specific um, attributes of, of, your, uh, of your POS system and how that addresses the specific needs of these independents. So for example, we put a program in place where we are connected to the big tobacco companies. They have a, okay. a they have a data program that they have in place. Uh-huh. And what that does is gives discounts to these independent convenience stores as well as gives them the ability to purchase their tobacco at the same exact rate as a big, a big brick and mortar. With That's a big chain. Wow. Exactly. So we're That's talking a about big leveling, deal. Yeah, we're talking about leveling the playing field now. Sure. Um, if I'm going to go walk into a, you know, a, a you know, independent convenience store, or I'm going to try to walk into, you know, a chain. Mm-hmm. Now I, I have a choice. I don't have right. to go into the chain because I want to save money. I can go into that independent because they have this system. I don't have to go into that chain because I have a coupon. Right. Now, for the first time in the history of um, convenience stores or independent convenience stores, bodegas, party stores, wherever you live around the country, they call them something else. Right, sure. Stores, for the first time, our registers take coupons. We have a couponing program. Wow. Yeah, okay, okay. And not only do we have a couponing program, 24 hours later, like for example, let's say the coupon is buy one Snickers, save 65 cents on Snickers. Okay. Buy one, save, save 60, save 50, whatever it is. Right. Now the consumer is happy. They get to save money in that store. The merchant is happy because they sold more Snickers. Snickers is happy because they sold more Snickers. But then the merchant is scratching his head. Go, wait a second. I just gave away 65 cents. What, what, when do I get that back? 24 hours later, we have an uh, an electric wallet. We have a, a, a an e-wallet or whatever you want to call it. Right. Integrated in our POS, we put the money back into that merchant's pocket. Yeah, and I think I think it's so important, Ellie. We need to, we need to dig into this a little bit more because our, our audience yeah. doesn't understand some of this. So, yeah. what I think it's really important for our audience to understand is that what you guys have actually built is really a platform 
for convenience stores. And by that, I mean, because you have, you know, 15,000 convenience stores, you have these integrations with the tobacco companies, you have integrations with distributors, right? Where they can order inventory. And then even the couponing where, correct me if I'm wrong here, but in, in the example you just gave, Snickers is actually the one that ends up paying that 65 cents that goes go, back to the merchant, uh, right? I go, I go to Snickers at the end of the month or I go to the coupon aggregator that has given us the Snickers deal. And I say, right. hey, uh, in our 15,000 stores, you know, 3,000 stores redeemed, you know, 20,000 coupons. 20, yeah, pay right. me that check. Right. right. And, and I fronted the money to the stores until I get the check from that coupon. Gotcha. Yeah, Very I love cool. It. I love and it. I love it. And that's yeah. so important because because I mean these big companies like Snickers, I mean they're spending millions and millions of dollars on programs like that because they want to drive you know consumer right. awareness. They want to drive you know people getting in a habit of buying that Snickers every time they walk into a convenience right. store. So they love it. But it's really important people may not realize that that they're actually footing the bill. I mean just that one little thing. You take that together with the distributors, the tobacco companies. Those are the kinds of things that you could only do at scale when you right. have thousands of convenience stores that are using your point of sale system. Right, right. Hey, yep. if I could just interject one more question, and, and, and James, you may have had this on your mind already. I didn't necessarily sure. study everything completely. But Ellie, I thought I remembered you saying something in Chicago, um, and maybe it was when I went on your website after I met you or whatever, about a uh, customer loyalty program. Is that kind of like this is, or is that something completely no, different? No, this is one element of the customer loyalty program. We okay. have we have now those virtual coffee clubs, you know, where they stamp a, you know, you buy 10 mm-hmm. coffees or whatever the merchant sets it at, buy six. Sure, know, right. Coffee, you can make it sandwich, you can make it, you know, chips, you can make it soda. Right. That. You know, we have a, that consumer app where, you know, we're coming out with points program where merchants can- That's what I was thinking of exactly. Okay, the points program, right that we are doing that as well. There is now we also have a consumer facing customer facing screen, a 15 inch customer facing screen at the point of purchase connected to our POS Uh customer walks up there. Not only do they see that ad for the Snickers and it gives them the ability to make a change. And, you know, you would talk about Mm -hmm. the path purchase. We are the ultimate influencer because we are at the point of purchase Right. Convenience store setting. Right. Yeah. So like how many times have you gone into your supermarket? And then once you get to the front, the machine spits out a coupon. It's like save 29 cents on spaghetti. Yeah. What, what good does it do me after I bought the I spaghetti? Know, you got to right? make a judgment call. Okay. Do I run to aisle 12? You know, fight. Right. Right. Oh, that gets me moms. all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just took me a half an hour to get to this woman. Like, now I got to fight these soccer moms, run to aisle 12, go down. Look, right. Hope I got the right box. Come back, save my. T- People don't do it. They no. Don't. But in a convenience store setting, and that's why our ad screen network, which is obviously massive as well, we're the we're the number one ad screen network in the for the independent convenience store space, over fifteen thousand locations, is such a powerful tool. And that powerful tool is not just given to CPGs and consumer product goods companies so that they could push their products. Right. It's given to the merchant. The merchant has the ability to put on, right? Okay, I went to Costco. I bought too many boxes of Cheerios because, you know, they were all on. Because I was cheap. <laughs> now I'm going to put an ad for Cheerios on my customer facing screen. And at the point of purchase, someone could save money on their Cheerios at each store. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, that so let's do this. Cool. I, 
I have a couple more. I do want to get to cash discounting and talk about fee buster and this program that you guys have, which I think is fantastic. Before we get to that though, Ellie, let's, let's dive into a little more of the nitty gritty details that our audience would care about in terms of working with you guys. So um, talk to us about processor agnostic. You know, you you work, you integrate with different processing companies. How do you do that? Are there gateways you utilize or whatever? Um, you know, and then maybe just touch on, you know, that opportunity. Is there a revenue opportunity for ISOs and agents that work with you that have their own processing? So give us a little bit of an idea of how you would work with resellers in terms of like independent agents or our larger ISOs that already have their own sales team. We work with independent agents in the last year and a half, we've uh, spent, a, dedicated a lot of resources to building up this channel uh, management team, channel sales management team, um, so that each one of these ISOs, whether they have one employee or 500 employees, are given a representative. Um, and yes, um, the objective is to make them a lot of money. And how do they make a lot of money? So they make a lot of money in a few ways. Number one, deploying the point of sale itself they make money on the sale of the point of sale. Number two, there's a monthly MRC, monthly recurring charge to these merchants. Not a lot. It's $24.95 a month or $19.95 a month if you have credit card processing through us. But then what, and they make money off of that as well. But then what ultimately happens is as we add additional features or packages, we add it that distributor makes more money off of it. So, you know, maybe now the distributor is making X and that distributor owns the store. So like nobody else can come in and say, hey, I want you to do this. That distributor basically did a land grab and owns that store. So today, maybe we have, you know, the merchants paying uh, X amount of dollars and the distributors making Y amount of dollars. Through our own internal marketing, through our own and through them as well, they may push that monthly charge to, you know, to get more features in sure. that store and they make more money. Sure. Uh, and then, uh, so that's the, you know, the, the POS world upfront right. residual upfront plus a residual. Then you have the credit card processing um, where we are um, credit card processing is not agnostic. We have a gateway. There is a, a small fee to integrate. Um, we are a preferred POS for some of the largest ISOs uh, in the country, um, because quite frankly, the reason when I said the last 25 minutes telling you about how wonderful our POS is specifically to this subset of stores. So we have right. become uh, the number one POS as well for these ISOs. Um, and a lot of them use their own credit card processing. And you know what? A lot of them start off thinking they want to use their own credit card processing, and then they end up moving to our credit card processing because we have the same mindset that we built IDT, right? With the calling cards being clean. Mm -hmm. Same mindset we built this point of sale register, everything's clean. With the same mindset we built our credit card processing. Everything's clean. Our credit card processing is no contract, no cancellation fee, free equipment, and what you see is what you get. The 2.49, 10 cents, $10, that's it. It's, it's a clean rate. So if you're not happy with our product, if you don't feel right, I tell this to the merchants, no one's smarter than the merchants about their own business. If you don't feel like you're saving money, return the equipment, cancel the account, what did you lose? We don't charge you a cancellation fee. There's no contract, no long-term contract. Obviously a contract to sign up, but no long-term contract. 
Right. You know? A lot of these credit card processes, oh, they promise you the best rates. I got my uncles in the business, my cousins in the business. I give you the best rate, right? They all promise you the best rate, but yet then they lock you into a three-year agreement with an auto renewal. And if you uh, return the equipment or cancel the equipment, it's a $1,500 cancellation fee. All right. That doesn't sound like the best rate to me. Right. And then they do a price increase every three months. Right. And then they do the surprises. We don't do the surprises. You get a bill that looks like that looks like snow all the time. White, white, white. Nothing, no fancy surprises or this fee or that, a statement fee, an overnight fee, a PCI fee. Right. Clean and simple, easy to read. In fact, my boss feels he wants to make it even simpler. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. I love this. This is a great segue. So I wanted to talk about fee buster. So let's talk about pricing. So you primarily have two options. And, and obviously our listeners that that understand the convenience store, we understand we're talking about smaller ticket sizes. Um, and so you've created a flat rate type pricing that works for convenience stores, two, four, nine, and 10 cents you mentioned. Um, so you know, that's on the credit card processing side. So again, just to clarify, they can use their existing credit card processing, not a problem. Yeah. They integrate. They could yes. choose you guys. Um, talk about if they do choose you guys, talk about the fee buster. Um, how is that going? I'm really, I'm really curious to hear this actually. I mean, is it, is it being received well by convenience stores? Tell our audience a little bit about what it is and, and how it's being received. I was absolutely against the concept in the beginning. Because yeah, me too. It makes sense to me. It's like, okay, go launch a credit card processing division, but then give, you know, incentivize them to pay by cash or, you know, I was like, wait a second, that doesn't sound so <laughs> right, right. Something right. doesn't sound right. Right. And and then it's like, okay, well, I understand now I understand the concept. Right? I got the concept right. of the you know cash discount. So now I got the the I got the concept. But now what like who I, I didn't think anyone was gonna do it. I didn't yeah. thought I thought for sure that okay, I can understand I'm buying an eight hundred dollar carpet and the guy wants to charge me three percent from the above carpet, it's only fair, you know. But you know, I'm going to buy buy food in a in a convenience store. Why are you giving me the fees? And I have to tell you, it's not only um, no longer taboo; it's accepted. Yeah, it, it's accepted, and it and it's it's very popular. And on from our side, you know, it's very profitable. It's mm-hmm. good for the resellers. It's good for our distributor network, um, and it's good for the merchant. The merchant yeah. doesn't get hit with all these fees. You know, I, I just did a story for the green sheet on, on surcharging and dis- cash discounting. One of the things I heard from repeatedly from people was that the sweet spot is like between, you know, $10 and $50, right? Which is p- pretty much the convenience store average, average ticket, ticket, I would imagine, is right yeah. in, that, in that sweet spot. And, you know, I was getting people were telling me some of the, you know, uh, margins they were making. And I was like, my jaw was falling, was dropping to the floor. It was like, oh my God, 200 basis points on a convenience store transaction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and consumers are not complaining about it. I, uh, you know, I've had a few friends who say to me, I don't know why I should do that. I'm like, then pay with cash. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, so Ellie, you know, this has been so informative. I love it. And I think kind of to sum up, you know, national retail solutions you guys have without a doubt the leading point of sale solution for the convenience store market. You've built it an incredible platform with distributor integrations, tobacco integrations, loyalty integrations, coupon integrations, all of this. And, you know, can be processor agnostic. You also have the credit card processing division as well, if they want to use that. 
So tell our audience, um, where should they go to learn more if they're interested in becoming a reseller? Do you have a website or you want to send them, how would they learn more about you or, or uh, NRS? So I guess the catch-all is go to nrsplus.com, uh, nrsplus.com, and uh, maybe you could put on the screen here uh, our phone number as well uh, in order to become a reseller. But we are looking for people all over the country, and you don't have to have a massive company behind you, although if you do, it's a positive. Um, you know. But uh, we want people to sell our products. It's a great product. And, uh, you know, people are uh, very, very sad. We have some very, very sad. We get a tremendous amount of referrals. So what does that tell you about our product? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Do you have it? That's, that says it itself, you know? It does. Do you happen to have the phone number off the top of your head just for those that are maybe listening in their car right now? If not, it's fine. We can add it in later. 833-289-2767 is the catch-all number as well. Uh, awesome. Repeat that one more time. 833-289-2767. Awesome. Great. Ellie, thank you so much. I love the conversation. I think it's going to be so valuable to our audience. Really appreciate the insights today. Yeah, I'm really glad we got to uh, connect with you, Ellie. Thank you. Patty, I'm really glad I got in that elevator. <laughs> that's that's least, the hand of God. That's right. Either and, that and, or, or uh, as I usually say, sometimes I get Murphy's Law, sometimes I get the luck of the Irish. <laughs> yeah. And James, always great speaking to you. I really do admire all your hard work. And I and, and like I said in the beginning, you are a real professional and it's an honor to be here today on your podcast. Awesome. Hey, Ellie, thanks so much again. Thanks, Ellie. So, Patty, of course, we're excited about NMI.com, our official sponsor of the Merchant Sales Podcast. Yes. Today, I want to talk about a feature that I really think is just unbelievable. It's fantastic. So, um, you know, our company, we run subscription payments a lot, right? right? Mm -hmm. So I have like our statement analysis company. We have our training subscription. So we do a lot of subscription type stuff. We have our mm -hmm. uh, all access pass, bunch of things. So we use NMI, as I've mentioned before. That's the gateway that we have chosen to integrate with. It's one of the reasons I picked them for the podcast because I love working with them. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that they do that I think is really shocking, did you realize that 32%, yeah, that's right, 32% of subscription payments that fail, um, they 32% of subscription payments fail, and the vast majority of those payments fail because the card is card expired. is out of date. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it happens to me all the time. It happens yeah. to me all the time. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, what you have talked about, I believe on the Insiders Report, I know you've talked about it at least once or twice, right. is that both Visa and MasterCard have now made it available for for subscription providers mm -hmm. to get the updated card information right. when the card is updated, but there, the technology has to implement that. It has to right. update the card that's on file automatically. Well, uh, NMI has, has automatic it. card updater. Excellent. So when you go to a merchant like us, you know, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. we understand this, because we used to get tons of failed payments this way, right. with NMI, that has dropped dramatically. And the reason is because of their automatic card updater. When one of the cards expires and somebody has a subscription, NMI through their technology is able to reach out to the relevant card brand and see if they can grab the updated information. They automatically update that. And so the that's automatically the updated when they're do, posting the charge and it comes back or is it before the charge even gets posted? Just curious. I actually don't know. Um, yeah. But you know, it, because but it they works can go out to Visa, Visa or MasterCard yes. and get that done. 
Yes. That is very sweet. That it's is it's unbelievable. Sweet. So if you have any business with subscription-based companies or you'd like to target that vertical, using NMI for the subscription is literally going to make them so much extra money because of right. the automatic card updater. I mean, it's such a huge, yeah. like I said, 32% of subscription payments fail. And the number one reason is because of this issue with um, cards not being updated. So check out um, yeah. ccsalespro.com slash NMI, Nancy, Mary, I. So ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Um, check it out. Click on that learn more button. Get some more information from them. I really think it's an unbelievable solution. Um, and I think you're when you check it out, I think you're going to want to use it, whether you're an agent or you're an ISO. I agree. Check it out. ccsalespro.com slash NMI. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So everybody, I decided, uh, I already had my topic for today, actually, Patty. And then um, I had a call with an agent today, two calls with two different agents today. And uh -huh. it was funny because it came up on both calls. And I'm like, okay, well, that was my confirmation. I needed that this is a relevant topic. Oh, this is the same issue. It came up on your call. Yeah. yeah. So I already had it planned out and it was like, okay, I got, so I already have two runs at it today. So hopefully we'll, we'll nail oh, it. The third um, time's the charm. Right. <laughs> so we're talking about delegation 101. And Ooh. I want to just talk about, you know, primarily one very common mistake that people make. So let me be very clear here. And I do a lot of consulting for large companies. Um, this is not really for them as much. Um, there's different realities when you have hundreds of employees. I mean, even at our company where we have dozens and, you know, you have to, you know, segment people up and there's different concerns. Right. What I'm mainly talking about today is delegation 101. For those of you that you're hiring your first assistant, you're hiring your first right. tech person, you know, whatever, right? Like when um, you hired Angela. When I hired Angela, exactly. Perfect, um, it, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and I'll talk about a few other early hires that that would would you know would uh, relate here. So for those of you that are growing your business, you're going to get to a point where you're not being as productive as you could be, and you really do need to hire somebody to do some of these things. Right. Um, you know, and and ultimately, what's really important for you to understand is that your time, and this is this is the first piece that that agents just don't seem to understand, even small ISO owners your time is still worth money. Now, yes, yes. When, when I say that, it's like, you, you know, you're thinking, well, of course, James, duh, I know my time is worth money. But, but do you really know? Really know it. Do you understand how much it's worth? Because right. as you get away from kind of an hourly type job or a salary type job, you just don't think in terms of that anymore. And mm -hmm. what you need to start doing is you need to start asking yourself, what are the things I'm doing that are creating my wealth, that are creating my income? Right. Right. How many hours am I spending on those things and how much value am I creating? And how much time are you spending on the little minutia that yes. isn't creating any value? Yes. And yes. if you could take that time and convert it and spend it doing the prospecting, doing the closing mm -hmm. sales, doing, you know, whatever it is that you're best at. Right. What would happen? So, so once you get past that and you realize, yes, I definitely need to hire someone. What would I tell you about hiring people and, you know, delegation one-on-one, some of the early mistakes? Well, Mistake number one is hiring people based on trying to find the best deal that you can. Oh, um, yeah. mm -hmm. One of the worst things that you can do. So I, I made a, a classic 
stupid mistake myself um, in the last few weeks that I'll, that I'll talk about here. So we are doing a major redesign of our getisoamp.com, our statement analysis website. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. It's a WordPress website. Now, obviously our main website is not, but this is our marketing website. Right. Sure. So we're doing an overhaul. So we, I have a full-time graphic designer and I'll talk more about that in a minute, but I, I have a full-time graphic designer. He created the design. This is exactly what we knew exactly what we wanted page mm-hmm. by page. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, we went to upwork.com because I don't have a WordPress developer. I have like four full-time developers, but they're not WordPress developers. Okay. So I went to upwork.com, posted a job. Here's a guy I found um, $30 an hour for a WordPress developer, which is a steal, you know? Yeah. I was just going to say that's awful low. I mean, you know what my mom used to say, you get what you pay for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We didn't even get that. So what happened was we brought this person in, started working on some things and I left on vacation for two weeks. And I told um, our graphic designer, put him in charge of the project. Hey, let's have this individual go ahead and do this project, right? Right. So this individual put in 58 hours at 30 bucks an hour. I can't know, you know, math my head, 1700 or something like that. Something like that, right? So I get my invoice. I come in. I'm like, hey, I just got this invoice for 1700 bucks. Um, How's it going? You know, did everything work out? No, it's total garbage. (laughs) No. So we paid that uh, 1700 because I keep my word and I paid the money. I tried to negotiate, but the guy was pretty stubborn about it. And I said, well, I'm not going to use you again, but that's fine. Yeah, I'll pay you the money. That's all the money you're getting from me. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then we just hired somebody today, uh, two days ago, actually, for $80 an hour. And she's probably going to have it done in about probably seven hours. Right, right. So it actually net would have cost me a lot less and it would have been really professional. So you get what you pay for. Now, again, you're hiring your first person. You're not going to pay him $80 an hour, but when you're hiring your first assistant, you know, think $12, $15 an hour, you know, depending on your market, maybe even a little mm-hmm. higher. And, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be better that that person is probably gonna be able to get it done in a few hours here and there, you know, rather right. than sure. a lot of time. So that's, that's mistake. Number one is trying to hire people and pay them too little. You want to find the right person. It's, it's, you know, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's it's nearly impossible to overpay for the right person. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, yeah, you get the right person; they're going to be so profitable. You know, think about this for a second. You know, it, you know, those of you that have been doing this for a while, you're pretty successful at it. If you go out prospecting for one hour, mm-hmm. on average, are you going to generate more than twenty dollars in wealth for yourself? Right. Of course. I mean, that's you're going to generate probably three or $400 in value for yourself mm-hmm, per mm-hmm. hour. You know, on average, if you look at if it's the value of an account, it, yeah, right. what's your value of an account, all that you're, you know, for every two hours of prospecting, you're probably going to make one sale. You know, it may take you a little while to get the deal done, but you're going to probably make one sale out of that effort. Well, that one sale is going to bring you what a hundred bucks a month. It's probably going to be worth $2,000. I mean, you, you're making a lot of money per hour that you spend prospecting. So if you're spending an hour on your schedule or on paperwork, on administrative, on customer service, on tech support, you know, if you could find somebody for $20 an hour to do that effectively mm-hmm. without you having to mess with it, and then you would put that hour back into prospecting, that's a good trade. That's a good deal, right? Right. right. So don't make the bad decision of, well, I found this person, they're only 10 bucks an hour. Okay, well, maybe, maybe they need a lot of training, but you're going to pay somehow. You're going to pay in your time because you're going to have to train them a lot longer. So mm-hmm. think through that. Mistake number two is don't think in terms of, I have to keep this person busy for X amount of time. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You have to be thinking in terms of what responsibility do I want to give them and what is the objective I'm trying to accomplish? Right. So let me use our graphic design. how competent are they? How, you know, what's their level of competency to achieve what you want them to do? Yes. Yes. 
So, you know, I'll give you an example, you know, our graphic designer. So we got to a point where we were paying a graphic designer. This is maybe a year and a half ago. We were paying a graphic, different graphic designers around 15, 1600 bucks a month on Upwork. And we were paying 30, 40 bucks an hour for this time, you know, through Upwork, maybe even more. Right. So we're like, you know, we're only like, you know, if we could hire somebody for 3000 a month or whatever, you know, graphic design, wouldn't we do that? You know, if we could hire a full-time person and and you get them going. So we hire a full-time graphic designer. Um, who, when we brought this individual in, we really didn't have 40 hours a week of graphic design work to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really care. I'm not really worried about that, right? What right. I thought first was, okay, what are the things that I'm personally investing some time in? And I looked at our podcast, right? Right. right. I was investing some time editing podcasts, going over some things and whatnot, because we were outsourcing some of that. So I had this individual who's a graphic designer, you know, to his credit, he learned how to use Adobe Audition and he started editing the podcast. Now, mm-hmm. I wasn't worried so much about exactly how much time. It's just, I'm not, I don't want to be worried about it. I want to be right. able to actually fully and completely delegate this thing. So I'm not worried about it. So the podcast, now I spend the one hour a week recording it and that's all mm-hmm. I do. You know, mm-hmm. he does everything else. Then and in he fact, makes, I work with him and he's very competent. He is very competent. Yes. And so then he makes, you know, the email that goes out and he does. So I've trained him. And, and really, I say that really John's trained him more, my operations guy, but we've trained him to now do all of the things relevant with the podcast. When I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to grab the two files I have video and audio, and I'm right. literally going to drag them into a messaging app. I have that are going to send them to, to Josh and that's it. I'm done with the podcast. Yep. I don't do, I don't touch it. I don't think about it. I don't really care. I don't have time for that. I have other things to do. Mm-hmm. So I just got back hours of my time from that, yeah. right? Well, then it's like, okay, yeah. what else can he do? Well, we have our weekly podcast or we have our weekly uh, blog article. We have our weekly Q&A session. We have, you know, eBooks that we do. And right. so here's that. And so you want to structure these uh, employees. And so, you know, to where they're taking responsibility and stress away from you. Mm-hmm. So you have time and you're able to focus on things and get things done. And so think about what could these people do and what does that mean? Well, there was a lot of times early on and Josh, you know, long as his name, you know, my graphic designer, he would tell you early on the first six months. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was spending literally half of his time watching training videos on how to use Adobe audition better, how to use uh, illustrator, reading a book, whatever, leaving right. early sometimes because I didn't have enough to keep him busy and I'm not going to spend my time over there trying to keep him busy. That totally yeah. defeats the purpose. And he was putting the time to good use. It sounds like. absolutely. It's yeah. like, let's, let's learn something new. Let's train. Here's a video. I bought him a video course here. Spend 40 hours on this video course over the next two months, you know, whatever. Right. Right. Find things like that where they can improve themselves, self-improvement. But you say, but James, then you're paying all this money for works not being done. No, no, no. I don't care about filling the time up. The idea was what responsibilities do I have that I can fully delegate so that I don't have to worry about them anymore. Then I invest the time, whatever mm-hmm. it takes, you know, I'll sit for hours and hours and hours to keep so that, so I don't ever have to worry about it again. Cause it's not just time. It's also that stress and that, you know, oh, yeah. I got to stay up at night in my head, keeping it all in my head. Oh, wait, is this taken care of? Is that taken care of? I hate that. So right. I want to get different people all doing different things. So when you're starting out delegating, number one is make sure you get good quality people. Number two on my list is don't think in terms of keeping them busy all the time. Think in terms of what can they do? What can they take off of my plate that's taking me time or that's you know stressing me out or something I'm not good at? What can they take off my plate and then train, train, train until they're able to fully remove it from your stress load, fully right. remove it from your schedule right. and then let them do it. 
And let me tell you right. something. Josh has made mistakes. He'll be editing this podcast. He'll hear me say this. He knows. He's made some mistakes. He sent out some emails that had a mistake in them or whatever. And, you know, there's been a few times I've been upset about it. You know, oh, man, I can't believe this. But, you know, the bottom line is he knows that you make mistakes. You know, right. things we are going to happen when, when you delegate. You know, I make mistakes. So right. I, I can't if I'm going to make a mistake and I've been doing this for years, I can't expect some young uh, guy to come in and don't make any mistakes. No, just you got to let them go. Let them do their thing. They're going to learn the same way you learn. Everybody's right. like, well, I don't make mistakes. Well, yeah, you did early on. Right. Now you don't right. make as many because you've, you've made all your mistakes. Right. Well, when you hire people, you got to let them make mistakes. And so, you know, let them go, let them take it. So that's it for this week though. But well, Patty, let me just, I just do a part I can two. interject one, one thing here. And yeah, I just, sure. just to bring it back to our, to our listeners who yes. are agents or small sub yes. or something. I remember you, you and I having this discussion back when we first met. Yeah. And you told me how the first person you ever hired was Angela Right. Because you needed somebody who could keep your schedule and yes. set appointments because you were yes. wasting so much time and you were fretting about it. Yes. And I think that's something, you know, you know, look for, for people who are listening right now. Think about the amount of time, you know, if you're at that place where you're scrambling just to set appointments, just to keep right. your calendar straight. Right. That's a good first delegation. It is. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You need to get that person that, you know, like for me, I, I mentioned it actually, I think it was last week or the week before, but. Um, you know, the idea of, you know, when I would walk out of a business or after I would send an email right. or have a phone call, I would just right. do a voice note. I would yep. send it to Angela and it would say, hey, here's what happened. Here's the next action step. She would make sure that I ended up doing that and it would yes. all my schedule at the appropriate time. So, you know, yeah. no way you can, you, you know, it's just you almost can't put a value on that because it makes you so mm -hmm. much more productive. Yeah. So let's do this. So we're going to do a part two. I have a couple of other tips I want to share, but I want to stop it here. Um, but next week. Jump back in. I'll talk some more about some delegation 101 and some things you can do to really make this effective as you start to build your, your team of employees. Excellent, James. Thank you. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, buy now, pay later is in the news again. This week, the big news is that Square has entered the market with a planned acquisition of Afterpay. Now, right. Afterpay is one of the largest buy now, pay later providers in the world. It's based in Australia. Uh, Square is paying a cool $29 million in excuse me 29 billion in a stock exchange i was going to say when you said that i was like wait a uh, minute 20 yeah. 29 billion can you imagine i wow, mean that's unbelievable that i just mean it blows my mind it blows my mind that square is able to pay 29 billion yes that's stock, exactly sure. what blows my mind i mean you know i mean you like that that little tattooed guy that that spoke to mwaa a few years ago and we all kind of scoffed you know right, right. i guess that was 10 years ago but i still remember him being up there you know and yeah, everybody's yeah. like oh this guy's crazy if he thinks he's gonna you know get right. in the payment space well look what he's done he just yeah. shelled out 29 billion dollars which was third over crazy. more than a 30 percent premium over after uh after pay's stock price wow yeah yeah Good now, night. Square says it plans to integrate Afterpay into its existing seller and cash apps, okay. um, which it said is going to let it um, enable even the smallest merchants to offer BNPL at checkout. Okay. It will also boost the uh, Square cash app user base by about 16 million um, users. 
Wow. Um, and uh, as I said, Afterpay, I believe I said it's it's although it's headquartered in Australia, it has operations all over the place, and it is considered sure. one of the largest ones in the world. And and then I didn't hear you mention. I mean, I would imagine that this is also adding a lot of merchants right that are mostly i guess in australia but a lot of merchants that are currently probably accepting this right you know. because afterpay was really big and i was just going to say this it, you know it was really big in the e-commerce space but it's been you know going into the card present environment if you um i believe i reported last week about how the owners of the westfield shopping malls which are some of the larger right. shopping malls right. um uh, are have gotten you know have uh, inked to deal with afterpay to offer right, buy right. now pay later there um right. and it you know it's it's still nascent but you know that you know that the buildup is coming and especially yeah. square has a has still has a, you know has a presence in the brick and mortar and then afterpay has a presence in the brick and mortar i mean that's going to be a huge yeah, combination and, and, there. and it'll give square a nice inroad to the e-commerce world Yes, which, which is which is obviously had. a big yeah big right. thing that they've been trying to do as well. Exactly. And and I have to say, the e-commerce world is interesting to me because you know they've been successful in our world, mm-hmm. and you know ISOs and agents in our world have not done a very good job of going after the e-commerce merchants. Right. So I feel like e-commerce is so much um, less competitive, and the payments you know as far as oh, payment processing goes, right? It's still a bit of an open market for them. They have a lot of room to run there. Yeah, I think so. I do think that Square's a little late to the ball, shall we say, because, you know, as, as I reported last week, Visa's rolling out a buy now, pay later service um, with the first live implementation um, being in Canada and a U.S. implementation is expected to follow soon. And then MasterCard proceeded Visa to the market because it teamed up with Tesis to create a buy now, pay later offering for its credit card issuers last year right uh fiserv has a buy now pay later service for its acquiring customers and has been piloting it with uh fanatics which is an online uh sports clothing and collectibles uh, merchant sure and of course last year paypal rolled out its own buy now pay later service that it well, i guess when you're when you're late to the game you just buy the biggest company you buy the biggest one it. out there right <laughs> and then all but of a sudden you, you're ahead of the game so yeah so you know but you know as we said last week you know it's not there's a lot of big guys in this business but there are you know players out there that do work with isos yeah and uh you know i went through about a year and a half two years worth of our podcast because i remember in the back of my mind i know we did a few yeah. of these interviews and the two that came up that are still in business okay. are Flexbuy, that's F-L-E-X-X-B-U-Y. Right. And then Servpay, S-U-R-V-P-A-Y. Yeah, and um, I, I actually just talked to Mark Beauchamp. Um, did you? Maybe a week ago, and they're really doing, they're just killing it with Serve. they are. He's going to be back on the podcast talking about it uh, probably next uh, month or so. We talk, we're going to set something up. That'd be really great because I've been reading some statistics that show, especially since COVID, the uh, you know particip- the consumer um, participation has been just ballooning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, love it. Wow, great stuff, Patty. Appreciate it. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of GreenSheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. 
and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.